0: Well, good morning. Hey, we're going to put this little QR code up just if you need it again uh, for a moment to get message notes or if you didn't get a chance to fill out the information card. Uh, Last week at the end of the service, I just asked for some prayer, so I thought I'd give you a little update. I'd asked for some prayer for two of my three daughters. Anna had had an appointment up in Columbus at Nationwide Children's Hospital on Monday. She's been for for years, actually, dealing with some... uh, pain and stiffness in her legs that just isn't normal. And so we've been concerned for a while about that and seen different specialists and not really gotten a lot of answers. So we are cautiously optimistic after an appointment on Monday. uh, The doctor believes that possibly some of the the issue is not autoimmune like we were concerned about, but could possibly be uh, stemming from an issue in her back. He thinks maybe it's a tethered cord And if that's the case, that would actually be really great. It would require a surgery, but it would provide instant relief. Uh, If not, it still could be something spinal. So we're going back on November 30th to do a complete MRI of her spine. And they've been really great about getting us in right after that same day to read the report and and hopefully find out a few more answers. So thank you for your prayers. Continued for her. And then Olivia, my oldest daughter, she had surgery on Friday. Um, They did hip surgery. So she had a, a labral tear, so they repaired that, and it was a little bit bigger than they had anticipated, but not too far out of the scope of what they were doing. So they repaired that. They snipped a little tendon in there that caused some clicking, and they also shaved down um, the ball because was, there was a little, uh, like, kind of like a spur almost on it that was catching the cartilage there. And so, anyway, that was Friday, so she's still recovering from that, uh, still in a little bit of Pain, obviously, had a little bit of nausea from the, the medicine, but is doing very well. The surgery went very well. And she starts PT tomorrow. So thank you guys for prayers. I, I, we've heard from a lot of you just praying for her and for Anna, and we really appreciate it and we need it. So thank you. So last week we, uh, we wrapped up a series on this, this topic, spiritual warfare. And it, it felt like a very timely topic. Um, but I hope you know that. Every series that we do in some way serves to equip us for spiritual warfare, and that includes the one we're starting today. Uh, Last November, we did a a very different type of sermon series, one we've never done before. It was a five-week series called Origin Stories, and in this story, we looked at some people and events in the history of Christianity that have impacted our lives today. In that series, we looked at some some of the leaders of what we would call the early church period people like Justin Martyr and Polycarp, Irenaeus and uh, Basile the Great and Augustine. And if you remember from that series, that that period of time was marked by severe persecution of Christians. Yet we witnessed from that series some great men and women of, of faith who courageously and sacrificially shared the gospel and claimed. Christ in the face of extreme persecution. But also in that era, some some great doctrines of the church were advanced. And we talked about some of these doctrine of the Trinity and advancement of the nature of Christ, confession, repentance, forgiveness. Well, today we're starting a second phase To that origin stories series again, it's a a different type of series I know, Uh, but originally we were going to do this series earlier in the year, and we were going to spend about four to five weeks on it. But COVID kind of disrupted our plans. Not that it's disrupted any of your plans at all, right? (laughs) Uh, So we're we're doing it now, and we're only going to spend two weeks on it though. So the second installment of the origin stories series it's going to be designed to cover what's called the Middle Ages of church history, and there's no way that we can possibly cover this time period in just two weeks. So what we're going to do is we're going to simply highlight two of the biggest topics of that era. So today we're going to be looking at the rise of monasticism, and then next week we're going to look at the Crusades. So these two topics seem to represent two ideas on the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Like monasticism represented the idea of giving up on society and withdrawing to a quiet life, while the Crusades represent the idea of heavily engaging with society. Like that's kind of an understatement, right? Heavily engaging with society and then fo- forcing others to accept our beliefs and standards. So a- after coming off of this spiritual warfare series, hopefully it's awakened you a little bit to this fight that we're in, but maybe now you can, after hearing about the spiritual warfare, maybe you can relate to monasticism and you just, you just want to run and you want to hide from the world. Like how many of you would just love to completely unplug uh, from society right now, maybe live off the grid? How many of you would say, that'd be me, yeah? All right. Others of you, maybe you were motivated by the spiritual warfare series and you can relate to the Crusades and you're ready to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol, right? You know, how many of you, you would say you're more like the, the one who wants to just march straight down to Washington, D.C. and you want to set some people straight, right? Some of you are more motivated in that way, yeah. So is one of these approaches right and the other wrong? Are they both right? Are they both wrong? Are they both partially right and partially wrong? Or is there some kind of middle ground? What do our times call us to do? And that's kind of where we hopefully are going to get to with this series. So let's start by looking at the biblical basis for monasticism. Maybe you're, maybe you're not familiar with that term monasticism. Um, so if you aren't, yeah, some people don't like monasticism. It's just awful. But if you're not familiar with that term, think of monks. Okay, monks. Uh, Monks came out of monasticism. But where did this idea actually come from? So monasticism has been called the quiet life. The quiet life. The Apostle Paul told the church, the believers at Thessalonica, he said, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. You know, that's that's something you might want to quote to some people. Uh, Paul says to mind your own business, right? Mind your own business. And work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. There's a man known as Anthony the Great, and he's thought to be the first person to really live out this monastic lifestyle. It's reported that when he was around age 20, Anthony the Great sold what his parents had left him when they had died. He placed his younger sister with some friends to take care of her, and then he fled to the Egyptian desert to live a life as a hermit. He lived his, his entire, practically his entire adult life in isolation. And he died of what we would call white martyrdom. That's where uh, he wasn't killed by some persecutors, but he died from a life of self-denial. And some of you might be thinking, man, you know, I, I, could, I could live like that. He actually lived to be 104 years old. And some of you are like, well, if I quit my job... I uh, got away from a bunch of people. If I didn't have to take care of kids, you know, I might live to be over 104 too with a lot less stress. But, but he's one of the first that lived this monastic lifestyle. So monasticism really started with individuals. And it was mostly men at the time. They would go out and they would live alone. They would go to the desert. They would live this life of solitude and study and prayer But by the time we get to the Middle Ages, this had grown into an entire movement of people. They would go out into the desert, or they would go up into the mountains, or they would just confine themselves to living in one place, living a life of discipline and denial. But at this point, by the time of the Middle Ages, with it being a movement, they started doing this together, living together with some people. Um, And so these communities became known as monasteries for men and nunneries for women. So these monks and these nuns, they they took the words of Jesus seriously in John 12, 25, when he said, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The, The women would look to this passage in 1 Peter 3, where Peter said that your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, when Peter made this statement, Peter was not making a a command forbidding outward adornment. The emphasis really was on inner beauty. But some of these women, they were taking this command as, as, or taking this as a command. And so they would get rid of these type of worldly possessions and these outward adornments. And then they would withdraw from society completely. But many Christians at this time they had become so disillusioned with the, the corruption in their culture and even the corruption that had been creeping its way into the church. And so they just left it. They abandoned it. They took solace in knowing that they were following in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus had said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And so they started to withdraw out of the world. Now, I think with a little bit of discernment, we can see some, some both some positives and some precautions with this movement, right? So I want to give three positive things I think monasticism was trying to do, and then I want to talk about where it kind of missed the point, okay? So one positive with monasticism is that monasticism was an attempt to slow down. It was an attempt to slow down. Many of those who went into this hermit life or they went into monasteries, they did so to get away from what had become a very demanding and busy lifestyle of public service. And if we think about our lifestyles, if we think about the culture we live in, we can probably relate to that, right? We are constantly on the go. And with technology, it seems like we are never off the clock. We go, 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 go. Wouldn't it be nice to slow down a little bit? Do you ever feel like your schedule or your busyness is is a hindrance to your relationship with God? They saw it as a hindrance and so they they withdrew from that type of life. In Psalm 46.10, we read this. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so the idea is to, to stop to stop striving, to stop trying to control everything and everyone in your life, to stop trying to be all and and do all, to just stop, be still, and be reminded of who is really in control. To stop and be in awe of God. So I'm I'm not a huge fan of of the message translation of the Bible as a a replacement for normal translations of the Bible. Uh, The message is just one author's kind of take on rewording scripture in a way that maybe makes it more understandable to people. But in the message translation, Eugene Peterson, he takes Psalm 4610 and he writes it like this. He says, Step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. And so the daily life of a, a monk was truly marked by a quiet and slowed-down routine. It consisted of reading the Bible, meditation, prayer, manual labor, and worship gatherings. And in these gatherings, they would read the Bible, they would pray, they would sing songs, or they would start, they they would chant. This is where we started getting Gregorian chant from there. Um, And so this was part of their gatherings together. And you can imagine that if you did this, if you took away all worldly pursuits and you pulled away from the hecticness of your schedule, uh, you would probably have a lot more time for Bible reading for prayer and for meditation, right? Although that, that, that kind of happened for a lot of us in March, didn't it? Our schedules, at least our extracurricular stuff uh, that we did, it kind of slowed down. But instead of Bible reading, prayer, and meditation, we streamed Netflix and YouTube and played Xbox, didn't we? But the point was to pull away, to slow down, to focus on God. Again, monasticism was this attempt to slow down. Another positive attempt from monasticism was that it was an attempt to escape the noise, uh, similar to what we just said. But It's it's hard to imagine that their world was noisier than ours. I doubt it was. We live in a very noisy world, don't we? But they were surrounded by noise, and, and, and that can sometimes be a distraction to connecting with God. You know, one of the ways that many of us connect with God is through nature, You're taking in the majesty of God's creation. For me, there's just something about going off on a hike. There's something about stopping at a beautiful scenic overlook or stopping at a hiking up to a waterfall or just standing at the edge of the ocean and listening to the waves crashing in. Something about that just draws me to be in awe of God and it helps me to listen to God. I think it's because we're just taking in the majesty of His creation, which points to our Creator. But unfortunately, we have just a lot of noise, a lot of things that drown out the voice of God, a lot of things that block out God from our lives, and we could use some silence. Do you know that silence is actually a spiritual discipline? Like prayer, like like reading your Bible, silence is a spiritual discipline. D.L. Moody said that a holy life will produce the deepest impression. And then he said, lighthouses blow no horns, they only shine but we're not good at being silent, are we? We've got to have like a noise in the background. We got to have the TV on or listening to a podcast or music playing in the background. We don't even like silence in conversations. So we speak before listening. Sometimes it's in that uncomfortable silence when we hear God the most. I I love the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, where God spoke to him. And do you remember how God spoke to him? It was in that still, small voice, that that gentle whisper. One of my favorite verses uh, has to do with silence. It's in Job 13.5. It's actually kind of a humorous verse. It says, "If if only you would be altogether silent, for you, that would be wisdom. In other words, if you just shut up, people might think you're smarter, right? If you just be silent sometimes, and you don't know how many times I've wanted to post that verse on someone's Facebook after they say something ridiculous, but but I've been good. I stayed silent even with my typing. Proverbs 17:28 echoes this same verse saying, even fools are thought wise if they kept, keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. And so again, monasticism was just this attempt to escape the noise so they could better hear from God. And I'm not sure if many of us could hear if God would whisper today, could we? I'm not sure with our noisy lives if we could hear from God if he were to whisper. We have so many other things vying for the attention of our ears, don't we? It's things like social media and TV and, and Hollywood shouting at us so much. And instead of turning it off or turning it down, we turn it up. So oftentimes we drown out the voice of God. And we could all probably use a little less noise in our lives. Another positive was that monasticism was an attempt to put Jesus at the center. In Mark 1.35, we read about Jesus that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus modeled what it meant to to get away and to focus on God. And so all of the goals of monasticism, they were noble and worthy of pursuing at some level, but none None is more important than this one. We need to put Jesus back at the center, don't we? Again, the goals of monasticism were worthy and we still model some of these aspects in our lives today. Like there's a reason that we have church camps and conferences and and retreats and getaways. It's an attempt to to get away from the hustle and bustle of the world, to slow down, to escape the noise and to refocus, to refocus on putting Jesus back at the center of our lives. There's a reason that we encourage you to develop a quiet time in your lives, a, time, a quiet time of studying God's word and praying and listening so we can recenter on Jesus, so we can hear from God in our lives. So one of the incredible services, though, that came out of the monastic movement was that although these Christians pursued a quiet life away from the fast pace, away from the noise, By the time of the Middle Ages, they provided a very valuable service to the church. They were the ones who were credited with copying Bible manuscripts so that more people could have it. They were the ones creating art that honored God. They were the ones starting schools and teaching, since most people couldn't read then. And they were the ones sending missionaries out to share the gospel. All great things. So where is it that they missed the point? Why, why isn't this a lifestyle that we should aspire to today? And so for our answer, if you have your Bibles today, I'd love for you to open up to John 17. For our answer to this, we're going to look at one more passage. It's John 17, 13 through 18. And in this passage, Jesus is praying just before he's going to be arrested and crucified. And he prays for his disciples. Here's his prayer. He says, I am coming to you now. I'm coming to the Father now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they, his disciples, may have the full measure of my joy with them. They said this, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Many of you, you've probably heard this phrase that, that Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. In it, not of it. right? And this, this is the passage where we get that phrase. Jesus says that his followers are not of this world. And there's a real sense in which we are in this world, but we are not of it. But, but I wonder if this phrase, in it but not of it, has kind of left the wrong impression about our mission to the world as Christians. This motto could, if we, if we don't take it the right way, could give us this idea that we are in this world, but what we really need to do is we need to make sure that we're not of this world. And so in this way of thinking, uh, the starting point is our unfortunate circumstance, The unfortunate condition of being in this world, and our mission, again, in this line of thinking, is then to not be of this world. So the emphasis is moving away from the world as our mission. Now, no doubt, it's an emphasis that sometimes is needed, right? Christians should look different. We should act different, think different, live different than the world lives, It's clear that Jesus does not want his followers to be of the world. He says it twice, once in verse 14 and once in verse 16. But there's there's something essential being downplayed with this motto. So let's all all agree, it's clear, Jesus does not want us to be of this world. But notice that for Jesus, being, being not of the world is not the destination in these verses. Rather, it's the starting point. It's not where things are moving toward, but what they're moving from. He's not of this world. And he begins by saying that his followers also are not of this world, but then it's going somewhere. Jesus isn't getting his, trying to get his followers to hide from the world. He's not wanting them to just huddle up, hold hands, and sing kumbaya and around all together all the time, right? Enter verse 18. Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And then don't miss verse 15. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. I don't want them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one while they are in the world. So Jesus is not asking the father for his disciples to be taken out of the world, but he is praying for them as they are sent into the world. So he begins with them not being of this world, and he prays for them as they are sent into, into the world. Does that make sense? So, so maybe it would serve us better to kind of revise that popular phrase, in it, but not of it, in this way, that not of it, but sent into. Not of this world, but sent into this world. The beginning place being that we're not of this world and the movement is toward being sent into the world. The emphasis then falls on being sent. We're sent with a mission to this world. Not the mission to, to disassociate from the world, but we are sent into the world on mission for gospel advancement through disciple making. So there is no doubt that that we need to like the monastics. We need to build a slower pace into our lives. Don't we? And there's no doubt that that at times we need to get away from the noise. There's no doubt that we need to at times pull away for times of retreat and refreshment to, to refocus, but we cannot completely withdraw from the world. Jesus wants us to stay engaged with the world. In his book, When a Nation Forgets God, Erwin Lutzer, he shares this, some eyewitness accounts of how the church began to huddle up in Nazi German, Germany while people around them were suffering and they were dying in the Holocaust. And so one eyewitness, he, he shared this account, this story. He said, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian We heard stories of what was happening to Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because after all, what could we do to stop it? There was a railroad track that ran behind our small church and each Sunday morning, we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries from the train as it passed by our church. We realized it was carrying Jews just like they were cattle in cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow and we dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we could hear the cries of the Jews en route to their death camps. Their screams, they tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming and when within the church walls, we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train's by, By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our lungs. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. The eyewitness went on to say, although years have passed, I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene. Again, Jesus did not pray for us to be taken out of this world. We cannot ignore the world. We cannot ignore the suffering and the sin. We cannot just tell the world to go to hell. While we just gather in our places of worship and sing louder. So monasticism had some good points, but we cannot withdraw from the world and leave them behind. We are not of this world, but we have been sent into this world with a mission let's pray Heavenly Father I thank you that you modeled for us what it was like to be not of this world but to be in this world God I thank you that you took on flesh clothed yourself with flesh and came to this world and came to rescue sinners like me You've left us with the same mission to point people to the one who can rescue them. So God, I pray that um, that we we would not be of this world, that we would think differently, that we would look differently, that we would act differently, that we would not be of this world. But you've given us a mission. You have sent us into this world with a purpose. And so, God, I pray that we would not hide that light, that we would be a city on a hill, that we would be the light of this world, that we would see the darkness and the pain and the sin and the suffering and the corruption and the evil and the hate, and we would not run from it. We would not hide from it. We would not just huddle up together and avoid it. But We would run into it with a light the light that points to Jesus. So forgive us when we make things about us. Forgive us when we meet here and huddle up on a Sunday morning, but then we don't do anything to reach our neighbor. God, we've said this before. There are over 70% of the people in our community In Taze Valley, that do not even have a church home. You have sent us into that world to reach those people. So may we take your light to this lost and dying world. May we be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. May we be your witnesses in Scott Depot, in Winfield, in Hurricane in Putnam County, in Cabell County, in Kanawha County, in West Virginia, to the ends of the world. So God, I pray that when we do pull back, that we, when we do slow down, escape the noise, that it would be a purpose for the purpose of refocusing on you. And we need to do that but may we never forget our mission to make disciples in this world. Thank you for the model of Jesus. May we follow after his example. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So this morning, we want to offer you an opportunity to respond and there could be many ways that you need to respond. Maybe it's in private. Maybe you're making a decision to stop pulling away from the world and to be an active missionary to the world that God has put you in. Or maybe you just need some prayer today. Maybe there are some things that are going on in your life that are really difficult and you just need someone to pray over you. Or maybe you need to make that great decision, the most important decision of your life to follow Jesus first and foremost. To place your trust in Him and Him alone. To trust Him for salvation. And so if If you have a decision to make about Jesus or you just need some prayer today, I'm gonna be up here to your right as we sing this last song. I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to speak with you. I'd love to pray with you. And so if you would, would you stand and sing?